When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Our guest today is David Day. He is CEO of Strategy. We're going to talk to him about the work of doing strategy and right, how businesses develop, create uh, successful strategies. And probably the most important part of that is really understanding your market and your customers and your competitors and getting feedback and getting insight and getting information. I, I certainly find that the strategy work I do with companies, you know, one of the first things that becomes very obvious is people don't know a lot. <laughs> they don't, they know a lot about themselves. They, they know a lot about their internal operations, but in terms of going out into the world, really kind of understanding the market, understanding customer segmentation, competitors, trends, you know, really what do people want? What are people willing to pay for? What are the options out there? That is a huge part of strategy is really understanding where you're going to create differentiated space and where you go in. And so getting this information is key. David's been doing a lot of work on that and really interesting different ways of collecting that. You know, how do you get that information? How do you get that insight? And how do you get that into your strategic process quickly, affordably, accurately? Those are all challenges. We're going to talk about all that today. With all that, David, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. So before we kind of dig into the work you're doing today within strategy and, you know, helping people with, you know, insights and data and, and experts. Let's get a little background. How did you get into this work? Professionally, what were you doing? Give us the backstory. Sure. I'll start a little earlier. Growing up, I've always been an inventor, an entrepreneur, and a problem solver. Okay. I took an Atari apart and figured out how to copy, <laughs> copy uh, cassettes from a, uh, a cartridge way nice. back when I was 12 years old. Yeah. I went to college, started a tutoring business, and turned that into a successful, let's say, uh, larger tutoring business, sold it when I went to work for more than I made first three years. So I got the entrepreneurial spirit, but I went to a company after electrical engineering at Accenture and was classically trained 20 years. Few few people have probably heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, big ways, complex ways with goals, basically of finding clients, showing value and never leaving. Yeah. And You know, I learned to do all these things classically, but by the end of it, I learned that many of the solutions employed are overkill. Many of the things we analyze are based too much on tacit knowledge. Mm -hmm. And 
I really wanted to look and explore a way to get the information people need to make key strategic decisions and much more efficiency cut to the chase. And as I developed with Accenture, I left in about 10 years ago and I got into crowdsourcing. Mm-hmm. And with that, it's a big field. With my business background, I gravitated towards human intelligence, part of crowdsourcing, and specifically to help businesses. Uh-huh. So, so with that, I grew what is now called an expert network and collected business experts that could answer very granularly specific questions and problems. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you more about that, Bruce, but that's a basic background. I have a couple of questions. I'm just kind of personally curious. Like, where do you think you got your entrepreneurial kind of spirit from, I guess? Was there relatives, family? Mm-hmm. Was there influences? I mean, I'm always curious how entrepreneurs sure. kind of caught the bug. Yeah. So two things. My dad never met an idea he didn't like. Mm-hmm. He uh, was trained as a lawyer, but soon found it boring. So went in out in the world and various, uh, various uh, endeavors, some risky, some straightforward. I was married. He was married to my mom, a Scottish person, the most frugal conservative person in the world. <laughs> so I probably developed a huge entrepreneurial spirit with the, something in the back of my mind, managing the risk. So, <laughs> yeah. and then going through Accenture, you know, it's a head to down slog, but the personalities of the folks, especially as you get into the partnership, you see a lot of entrepreneurial mentorship. Most folks leave to go do big things and become VPs or C-level folks in larger organizations. But as I left, I really wanted to get more in touch with how business works at the mid-market level. And I had a hunch that all of this training and methodology from Accenture could be simplified and made affordable, granular, you know, consumed, what do you say, by the drink sort of uh, model. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with that entrepreneurship, I, uh, I just have kept carving ways, and I guess the big thing, everything can be approved, improved, right? Yeah. And I see that as a constant quest in everything I touch. I invent all kinds of things for people that are manufactured in China, from uh, bobbleheads to lighted novelties and such to clothing uh-huh. in Mexico. But it's just because I, here's the thing, Bruce, that drives all of it is connection. And when I figured out why I'm successful, it's because I know so many people that have specific skills that I can call on. Yeah. And really what I've done is found a way to expand that into an amazing network of business professionals that are available to answer questions because they have the knowledge directly of what some company has done before. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And let's kind of frame up what an expert network is, what crowdsourcing is. I mean, give us just a little bit more details on this kind of business model or the, or the model of of crowdsourcing and networks. Sure. So crowdsourcing and its uh, you know infancy is probably 25 years old or so, but it's matured through technology. And what's happened is there's a lot more availability of people showing you what they can do. So you look at LinkedIn and you're looking to find certain folks, you can hire folks through it. You can just uh, have business dialogue, get to know just new relationships and so on. So looking at that emergence, I saw the way to go from crowdsourcing, which in this broad sense can solve granular things like, please make me a logo for my business, Mm -hmm. design a new graphic for my album cover, 
these types of skills that are easily and granularly procured. As we get into expert networks, I'd say that's like a private crowd, right? Okay. And it's procured on purpose, that's the difference. But to scale an expert network is a monumental chore. When I started it, we grew it to about maybe 80,000 experts over a few years. Mm-hmm. And I, fi- I quickly found that always recruiting for every single job became arduous. So what we did was found a bigger expert network that had a million people. And I can tell you about that. But an expert network generally is a gathered set of business folks from all the way from, say, in the field, blue-collar wrench turners up to CEOs of large companies. Mm-hmm. Generally procured both proactively based on hunches like lately machine learning, AI, supply chain, rationalization are big topics, right? Mm-hmm. So we're recruiting all the time, but mostly on the backs of project needs. And as you develop those needs, you'll find similarities, you know, say life sciences or similarities in oil and gas. Right. So it becomes where you can reuse those experts. So that's the power. How important is it to have kind of that affinity or, or what affinities have you found or strategies for creating affinities? Have you found more successful or what, what's your learning around that? So what we found in order to, the strategy to draw in experts is real simple. It's a simple model. You have unique knowledge. We'd like to spend an hour with you on the phone or video. Mm-hmm. And for sharing that knowledge with us, we'll compensate you. Okay. So people are getting paid for their time to share their information. So that's the way we draw them in. Now, how does it affect businesses and strategies? If you can break down your strategy, generally there's holes in it, and each of them comes with a question or a ha- hypothesis. <laughs> so if we look at the past, Bruce, the way that this was done, and it's still done by the large consulting companies, is a company will start with a problem. Let's give an example. I want to move my waste product in what's called type 3 lubricants to sub-Saharan Africa. And I know something about the fact that there's a gray market or a loss on the way. Mm-hmm. And demurrage can add up for the ships to be in port. This is a hypothesis, but you can't search that. You can't Google it. You can't find the truth in any compiled source. So what you would do and what we did was go find people on the ground, literally, who mm-hmm. know where things get taken off before their intended destination, what causes ships to to be delayed, what you know, some things you could do around it. And the summary was there was a good bit of loss, but it was still worth it because lubricants had no market in the United States. But these are facts that you really need to know before you implement a strategy that's yeah. based on that. Yeah. And uh the way most people do it, Bruce, is uh, they identify the need. Either they solve it internally by hypothesis and tacit knowledge, or they go out to consulting companies who bring more tacit knowledge because of experience with more companies, but they're still limited. And many of them don't have real world work experience. They have consulting experience. So what enables this all to work is getting stories straight from the horse's mouth. That's the key to expert networks and their power. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about how, how did you, I guess, what was your first version of this? Where did you focus? Like what sort of the, some of the decisions you made to kind of get things started and then what worked and what didn't about the early stages? Sure. At the early stages, it was kind of a hunch more than a proven methodology. Early stages, LinkedIn barely existed. So the methods were a lot more crude. 
But as we grew, it became easier and easier. The hypothesis was simple. If I can solve problems within human intelligence outside the boundaries of my organization, I can cut to the chase and take six-month timelines down to one-month timelines and $500,000 projects down to $50,000 projects. <laughs> so as we emerged, we had a problem with scale. So ended up uh, selling this business into one of my partners today, Athenium, who now has grown that up to a million experts. And in order to get this started, again, I formed in strategy to go after a mid-market that none of the big expert networks are dealing with mm -hmm. and set up a methodology where Athenium supplies me the experts and I do the consultative work and the client relationships and consolidate that mid-market back to, back to them for compensation. Got it. Got it. So what, is, what I've learned over time is you can't do it all. And any small company without big pockets, big private equity is going to have a hard time scaling, Bruce. So yep. over time, the way it evolved is I tried on my own with a few people. We sold it to a larger company. We built a lot of methodologies. LinkedIn became the ubiquitous resource that it is. And networks have sprung up all over the world to find people. So when I agreed to start a mid-market business, I knew I would need that supply and that power. So I looked at this as what I term borderless ecosystems. Got to find a way, if you're a small company, to act like a big company by having suppliers that work with you and feed you information. And then my second deal was, as my clients grew from in strategy, we've been at this a couple of years, as they grew from smaller, say, mom and pop organizations out of people I knew and to businesses that required legalities, the insurances beyond a lot of expensive things, I found a partner, another partner that's larger, established, and a consulting company, and partnered to go to market with them. So now I have all the big business stuff covered. I've got all the supply covered, and my niche is orchestrating these facets of business to create a better product mm -hmm. um, than can't be done alone and to do it on the strength of a very small investment. Yeah. So that, that's really what's involved, evolved, and Bruce. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah. And so define a little bit sort of mid-market for us and then, you know, a little more by details on, on who inside the mid-market you're really focused on and, you know, what problem sure. are you solving for them? Sure. Well, in order to find the mid-market, let's first define the large market so companies like Athenium and GLG and Third Bridge, the big expert networks, are yep. dealing 70% with the largest consulting companies on earth who deal with Fortune 500 companies. Okay. So, you know, the sophistication of that is, is has some cumbersome uh, to it. The mid-market we see as the probably starting at 25 million up to, say, 500 million. So these are companies that have been established, at least have classy funding, third round funding or investment, 
or they've been in practice for tens of years. So mid-market that we look after, and we decided to specialize rather than boiled ocean. The hottest markets right now are life sciences, manufacturing in the sense of supply chain, resiliency, operating processes, geographic growth and product growth. So those are two good areas. The third one is around private equity companies who are trying to consider buying decisions. And we bring a 360 degree view that no one else brings. There's a lot of financial tax due diligence, all of those things, but checking out who their customers are and how happy they are, suppliers and chinks in the armor is mm -hmm. something we provide in that industry. So those are the top three, but other right markets we kind of do ad hoc. We've done consumer retail jobs, high tech jobs, IT. Um, so it can fit across industries. I would say exclusion. We don't want to go into governmental work that requires certain certifications yeah. and replies to thousand uh, page RFPs and such. <laughs> but oh, those those three sectors really drive it because they're the most inquisitive. And life yeah. sciences, for example, the market access function is something that goes on repetitively all day, every day. So I created a new drug. How do I get it to market? What are the <laughs> doctors and nurses' opinions? That type of thing. Yeah. You know, so it is generally companies that are doing fairly large strategic things. So med markets, what's fun about them is they need comprehensive help. Some of the bigger people just the role becomes find an expert, hook up an expert, and they do what they want with them. <laughs> our model is let's find the group of experts combined with our secondary research, combined with our consultants to create a holistic picture way faster than big consulting can produce. Yeah. And so that's that's the, been the successful model that brings together all those facets into a digestible, almost a, let's call it research as a service model. Yeah. I, I, how much, I mean, it sounds like each one of these kind of offerings, you know, has different structure, different process, different, potentially different group of experts, size of experts, how you integrate them. I mean, how, I guess, how much do you provide kind of the framework and how did you develop that framework over time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the framework is, it's a generally a set of methods processes and access to information via various sources, including human intelligence. So the framework includes secondary research, which is well beyond the Googles and simple, quick research. Yeah. We're trained in that. We use researchers itinerantly all over the world to accomplish this in a, in a straightforward and lower cost fashion. The second part is we break down a strategic broader question into granular questions. So we create a questionnaire around what is needed to be known, right? What holes have we found in our secondary research that we need to get out of human intelligence? We then take those questions and develop the questionnaire with our client and then develop a role, personas, if you will. What are the right types of experts? What level, what role, what experience, what function? what geography. Mm -hmm. And with that, we have a good feel for how many are needed to answer this question. It could be between one and a hundred, depending on the granularity, the segmentation and so on. So we conduct those expert interviews, provide transcripts of them, and then we analyze the results, put together a report of those 
results, including summarizations of what was said, combination of secondary research, and um, an executive summary that goes with generally recommendations for further study. The cool thing about that is it sounds like a lot, but our <laughs> average projects are less than a month. Okay. Um, yeah. And the beauty is simply you take a, a question, break it down, give it to a typical consulting company. We're going to think about it for a month before we even get you know into the meat yeah, of engage, the matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And why why is that? Because they're they're looking at more complicated problems. They're just their process is antiquated. It's the nature of their network. I mean, why 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 and, can't they do what you do? Well, the the answer is they are now doing what we do by using these companies as expert networks. So okay. none of them have replicated this because it's a maturing service, right? But to start with, the, the limitations of tacit knowledge are the real problem. Accenture has 500,000, as an example, mm -hmm. and they still can't possibly answer the granular uh, world today. Think about, Bruce, when I grew up, there were kind of a handful of solutions to every technology pro problem. And now you couldn't get to the 10th page on Google without finding another solution for most of the things you do. So with an Accenture, um, there's with, sorry, a large consultant and large companies, let's just broaden that. There's a tendency to do things the way they've always been done. Mm -hmm. There's a big risk aversion. And there's a, how do I say, it runs much slower because the time between the need of information and gaining the information is is delayed. And so what happens is a lot of decisions end up coming around. Sure, information was gathered, but it's been gathered from, I would say, compiled sources, aggregated sources. And decisions are made on tacit knowledge or say if you're going to work with a vendor, the one with the most charisma. There's a lot of decisions getting made after six months that really don't have the full information. Yeah. It's because of they do have standard processes. They do follow a methodology, but it's always comprehensive. It's always risk averse, and it's generally designed for quite complex things. The difference is we're looking at, say, a big consulting company, not going to use a company like InStrategy to do their full project. They're going to run into questions that they can't answer, and that creates offshoots that then feed their bigger animal. Now, when we deal with small and medium businesses, we do all of that in a granular package with a whole lot less, you know, thinking about it and going around the room and having lots of big meetings where, you know, those types of things are, are much more efficient. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah. And I, it's always evolving and always changing. So I get they're, they're at some level going to be copying some of the stuff. You know, the question is always how quickly can they move and how quickly can you continue to innovate? And if you can stay ahead of them, there's an there's advantage there. Tell me a little bit about um, where is this market overall? How are you fitting in? Where do you see kind of the future of this? Like, how is this going to mm -hmm. evolve over the next couple of years? The market in the large sense for large uh, companies, let's say the global 2000, it's actually getting quickly more mature, a crowded market, a lot of consolidation. Really, there's five reliable large players that Fortune 500 companies use. The mid-market is in the state that the large market was in a decade ago. So approaching them is kind of the fun pioneering thing I did at the beginning of this whole expert network <laughs> mm -hmm. growth. So I really enjoy that. Um, so it's really a retrenching 
of the methodologies that have worked on larger companies and streamlining those methodologies to meet the needs of companies that need information faster, they need holistic solutions, and they don't have a lot of money. I see that as a very open market. And folks are relying on external information more and more frequently. You quickly get beyond your own internal networks nowadays because your, let's say your market, a customer market is as that multi-threaded way more than it was before. You serve so many different types of customers as an example. Mm -hmm. So mid-market companies do not have the workforces to go out and learn all of these things, right? So I believe that this is going to go the way over the next decade of becoming ubiquitous within mid-market companies. There are some headwinds that are emerging and they affect mainly the profitability of these businesses. So as we've recruited, probably collectively amongst the five, there's probably somewhere 5 million experts that are signed up to some, some expert network. But the problem is that everyone's starting to learn that there's value in that and the prices to pay people are rapidly increasing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the mid-market is a little bit easier because most of the experts are also in that market and they haven't learned yet. But, you know, managing that price increase that's inevitable with the, you know, let's call it the, the cost of labor is a challenge. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and what have been some of the ch your challenges? Like as you have kind of evolved the business and taken on more clients, like where are the things that you've had to kind of rethink and overcome and, and figure out? Well, two things. It's, the first one is starting with business development. As a young company, certainly I have connections and I started by doing the first few jobs, the kind of people that you can twist their arm and say, hey man, you remember when <laughs> you, you got to get this job. <laughs> I got to start. But then I spent a lot of time just doing investigation about the mid-market and how it differed from the larger players. Where were the hottest points in it? And so as I approached that, I learned a lot of places are not my market. Right? Yeah. I learned what's too small. I learned that you know certain training and coaching, that type of thing doesn't fit well to this market. Mm -hmm. And I started to figure out that my sweet spot is 50 to 500 million manufacturers, life science, and so on. But getting out and doing business development, Bruce, you know this as much as I do. Yes, yes. It can't be a one-man show or you're not going to have any scale. So again, ecosystems, I have a, a company that helps me with, uh, it's not classic lead generation, way more sophisticated folks who get commission pay only on success. I now have this consulting company that is my partner, and we're utilizing their business development staff, their marketing departments, to go to market together. So all of those resources and getting those combinations and making sure every partner's happy and everybody has their right stake in the game is absolutely key. So it's taken a while to get that established. But uh, so that's uh, one obstacle. The second one is managing your pool of supply. Um, it needs to be large enough to withstand some folks. These are all itinerant, so they don't have to be available for me. They have to agree to the right price for a project. So I have from my past networks, you know, hundreds of loyal folks who would work with me, mm -hmm. but you still will find tight situations where you're ad hoc searching the same way we do for experts for people to, uh, to help run projects. You can run into, you know, the simple problems you do in the workforce. We have a project ongoing. Our lead researcher got sick. Um, 
you know, it was a kind of sick for a couple of weeks as we've all mm-hmm. <laughs> seen around the world. Yep. And so there we are. Um, and I had a cadre of others, but they were all twice the price. They weren't offshore. So, you know, a smaller company like mine, you, you sacrifice margin well before worried about anything else as client satisfaction. Yeah. So, so those have been, you know, some of the obstacles. But the growth, I don't see any impediments to growth because, as we've talked about, in order to scale, one can do that internally, one can do that by acquisition, but I find the most effective method is by having an ecosystem of partners that all work together for the best result of your clients. Yeah. And who, I guess, who should consider, you know, using a service like this and how would they, you know, start to think about it? Sure. The first indicator would be that you have formed a broad strategy of where you need to go next. And with that strategy, you need to validate and know more about it in order to come to concrete decisions that are still up in the air. This can be a company who just got round C funding. It could be a company that's about to break the 500 million barrier, but they all have this in common. If you can form a question that can't be answered on Google or by anybody in your organization, we can answer that question, answer it quickly. So anyone who, who has that, what are the, the inflection points that most often get people to come to us? Things like, I want to buy a company. Help me decide which company. Help me do due diligence on it. I want to grow to a new geography. I have a new product set. This is very, very important one. Um, and I can give you old school and new skill ways to do all of these things. You need to understand a severe operational problem. You need to benchmark yourself uh, in order to cut cost. You want to select a software system, and you need to do it quickly and efficiently. These are all the things why people would come to us. Yep. But generally, any question that's got your group scrambling and the tacit knowledge is not going to be adequate, look into this type of service because you, you know our customers are shocked. And the first, you know, this was the large market first and then mid-market. Generally, my objections are this sounds too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. And I, it's kind of one of those, you have to try it and see it to believe it. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of people that are hesitant, but yeah, it's amazing. Like once, once you get into this and you start seeing the kind of the ability and, and what you can actually learn and insights you can create and how it affects your decision making, it's, it's pretty powerful. Awesome. Yeah. They're great. David, this has been a pleasure. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, about in strategy, what's the best way to get that information? Find us at instrategy.net, enstrategy.net. Great. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes here. David, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, I enjoyed it, Bruce. And uh, thanks to anyone who's gonna, going to listen to this. And I hope it's insightful as well. Much appreciate the time, Bruce. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.